This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, for once again spending 30 minutes of your precious time to talk to us about the politics of our nation. And today we have our great police analyst, Gary McElhenney, former president of the Fraternal Order of Police in Baltimore and a Maryland police chief. How are you, Gary? I'm doing great, Jerry. How are you? Doing good. So I wanted to bring you on, talk to you a little bit about the um, spike in violence uh, over the last year. 20,000 murders, largest number in the last 50 years. And there's a lot of people who are saying this is due to demoralized officers just not doing their job due to the George Floyd fallout and all the protests against police. What's your thoughts? What are you hearing out there? You know, I think it's not so much as police officers not doing their job. They're they're doing the job that the elected officials in some communities want them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't want them engaging with criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want them doing any proactive, you know, what I call aggressive policing, um, that is what you got to do if you're going to get bad guys off the street. Yeah, they're, they're not going to stop what they're doing unless police officer intervenes. Right, right. When we had this, and you and I talked about this before in Baltimore in uh, 2015, we had the Freddie Gray incident. Uh, Freddie yep. Gray was a small time hood who uh, ran away from police and they arrested him, threw him in the back of a paddy wagon or the old paddy wagon or the old Irish <laughs> put him back in a, in, a, in a wagon and shackled his feet and his, his hands and he broke his neck on the ride six officers were charged there were riots the city burned and then the year after that the arrests dropped 30 percent while the murders rose 55 percent and someone was just telling me and you may know that baltimore is now the nation's murder capital so is that a sign of what's happening nationally i think it is i think it, it began um, really in Ferguson, um, after that false narrative was, was put out nationwide to the public. Um, and, you know, Baltimore is a prime example of when you tell police officers, you're bad, and we don't want you really going after bad guys the way that bad guys need to be gone after. Um, we'll sit back, you know, they'll take the reports, and they'll go home to their families. It's, it's human nature that if you beat somebody down so long, they're just going to say, Okay. Um, You know, I like to tell people that police work is really the ultimate in kind of self-employment, right? You you can drive down the street and your head can be on a swivel and you're looking for trouble. You're looking for things to get into, right? And with that Mm -hmm. comes greater scrutiny, um, you know, the occasional internal affairs investigation because someone makes a complaint that, you know, that's a hassle. Um, court on your off days, <laughs> um, yeah. overtime when you don't want it, right. and um, or you can drive down the street with blinders on and put your eight hours in and go home. Right? Are you are you hearing that out there? I mean, are people or are, are police? I mean, police officers are just do they feel that they are um, disempowered by all this? I, I think disempowered is a, is a good word. I think they also feel just they're not they're not being supported. And, you know, they're saying why at this point. They want to go out there to work. Listen, we've talked about it before, um, why people get into police work, okay? And it's it's to serve your community to a certain extent, but it's to chase bad guys. That's the fun of the job. 
You mm-hmm. want to jump out of that car. You want to chase a kid 10 years younger than you, and you're wearing 25 pounds of equipment and catch it. Okay? <laughs> right. that's, that's what you want to do. It's the, it's the thrill of the job um, to chase bad guys and to catch them and to help people and to you know, save someone um, or to track down someone that's violent before they commit another crime. Um, but when you're told, hey, we really don't want you doing that, and, and cities are, are making – you know, no chase policies, no foot chase policies. Right. I mean, that just tells a police officer, hey, they don't want me doing this. So why should I do it? Because if I do it, there's a chance I'm going to get indicted like the six police officers in Baltimore did um, and have to go through that ordeal. Now, um, there's still these incidents that happen. I was just watching TV last week and just ridiculous. These guys pull up. They're trying to arrest a guy. I think it was on a drug warrant. I think it was North Carolina. They pull up. There's six guys in SWAT outfits, automatic weapons. They approach the car. The guy tries to run them over. Not a good idea. Not a scholarship candidate. There you go. And now when they surround him, he ends up with a bullet in the back of his head. So it just, I don't know, it seemed like overkill, but... You have been out there, and these incidents they they ripple, they 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 reverberate. Oh, absolutely! And you know, and each one of these incidents needs to be investigated to make sure that the officers acted properly. And if they didn't, there needs to be consequences. But you cannot indict an entire profession or an entire police department without expecting some type of repercussions in the type of policing you're going to get. And uh, really interesting. So we're talking there's a federal bill right now that would re- remove qualified immunity. Talk about qualified immunity and how that works. First of all, this is really a complete red herring. Um, qualified immunity, first of all, is not just for police officers, okay? Um, you know, the town manager in your town, the mayor of your town, um, the head of public works, the chief of the fire department, they all have qualified immunity. Um, and there's certain segments of the community that have absolute immunity. And that is they can't be sued for doing their job. They can't be sued for their actions no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, you know, judges, prosecutors, legislators, you know, when they wrap themselves around that, that, that job that they're in um, and say, hey, I have absolute immunity, um, that, that can be pretty scary. So people are trying to single out police officers for qualified immunity. But, you know, qualified immunity only applies when the law is not clear. Right. So, you know, and and government and a government official makes a mistake. And, you know, the the police officers, they're not you know, you're going to be judged eventually by the Supreme Court of the United States. Right. Okay. You know, the the highest court in the land, the smartest people we're supposed to have on the bench are going to determine what you did was whether it was a violation, say, of the Fourth Amendment. Right. Well, you know, here's a police officer with a high school diploma, 21 years old, out on the street. And how does he know what the Supreme Court's going to decide on what he did five years Mm -hmm. from now? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we all made arrests based on canine dogs hitting the odor of marijuana in a car. At at some point, the Supreme Court said you couldn't do that. Now that officer would be sued. Because for a while it was for a while it was the law of the land, so mm-hmm. you know I think there, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there on this, and it's really the plaintiff's bar. You know, trying to you can you can still sue police officers, you can still sue them in federal court for assault, 
Mm-hmm. You you can still sue him for wrongful death. Mm-hmm. You just can't sue him for a violation of, of a constitutional claim. And New York has already done this. And um, like I said, you know, the, the, the federal government, the Congress is looking at it. And whenever they get into anything, you know, it's going to be Lord spaghetti. Lord help us all. <laughs> it's going to be spaghetti. We're the government. We're here to help. But <laughs> what kind of chilling effect do you see this having on American policing? First of all, I don't think the average police officer thinks much about this. Yeah. Um, whether, you know, what kind of defense they're going to have if if they get sued um i know i was a cop on the street you know you you got sued i mean people could sue you for whatever they wanted Mm -hmm. um and the police department you know if you were right defended your actions um but you know once word gets out it's just another attack really on the profession as police officers are going to see it they're going to say you know so now am i not only putting my freedom in jeopardy when i do my job but now I'm going to put, you know, the financial well-being of me, my family, my children mm-hmm. in jeopardy. And right now, and, and you know this, I mean, the recruitment and the hiring are at crisis levels. They just can't get officers in Minneapolis where the George Floyd, um, you know, death occurred. Uh, they're down 174 officers and there's Baltimore's down over leave. 500, Jerry. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, I mean, uh, they just can't hire. Yeah. And why aren't people, I mean, is this affecting people going into that profession? I mean, just watch the evening news. You know, it's this constant barrage of negative actions. Some of them, you know, listen, some of the reporting is justified. Um, When a police officer is wrong and does something deliberately, in my mind, the public needs to know about it. It needs to be handled and handled appropriately. And there are laws on the books for that. Um, But this constant drumbeat of police officers, um, all police officers being racist, um, all police officers um, being brutal, all police officers not wanting to do their job. Um, it wears on individuals. And, and listen, I, I, you know, I can imagine what my mom would have said if I was wanting to be a police officer now and come home and said, yeah, hey, mom, I want to be a cop. Yeah. Um, she would have said, nah. You, you, I'm sure the line to join the fire department is pretty long right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we got a really interesting election in New York and, you know, Baltimore adopted the zero, not zero tolerance, but the, the, the Maple Linder, um, you know, Comstat process and the lead candidate in New York's mayoral race is a guy named Eric Adams, who uh, was a former police captain, who was the guy who monitored or operated the Comstat computer system. So, and he's a black candidate. So it's just an amazing kind of um, coming together on this thing. And he's leading the, he's leading the, um, the, the field. So, after the protests in New York, 38% drop in arrests there, 58% rise in murders, the most in 25 years. And you know, because New York was doing so well in the 90s, they were at the yeah. lowest rate in their history in murders and crime. And um, Baltimore adopted that. And explain, explain a little bit what Comstat is and kind of what, what, the, what that's about. Yeah, Comstat, and and you know, and you're you're correct. We we did it in Baltimore. It was successful. Um, Jack Maple was an amazing man and knew knew crime, um, knew how to track it, knew how to head it off. Um, it really held people accountable. 
Um, you know, New York's such a massive operation. I mean, there's yes. countries in this world don't, don't have armies the size of New York's police department. Um, and they can deploy people where they need them and, and try to predict where they're going to have their problems. And that's what they did um, through an unbelievable ability to analyze crime data and then relentless, consistent follow-up and holding people accountable. When I say people, commanders. Yes. You know, the cops, the rank and file cops, they take orders. Yeah. They're giving their instructions every day at roll call. Um, and they go out there and get their marching orders. And, um, you know, in New York, it was really successful. It saved thousands of lives. Yes, and now yeah. it's really disheartening to see what you have going on in New York. I watched a video today, actually, of a, of a young man being gunned down in the street with, with two little kids next to him. Right. Um, and this guy just stood over and pumped bullets into him. It was broad daylight. Yeah. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon on a busy street. So wait, basically, it was putting the cops on the dot, dots. You you took a computer, you marked out where the robberies were, where the murders were. They flashed it on the screen and they said, hey, you, how come there's so many robberies in your district? And they were brutal. I mean, they just hammered them. And that caused people to jump and caused, caused people to move. Yeah. Um, how do you think, I mean, if this guy gets elected, Eric Adams, it's kind of an interest. It's going to be an interesting um, I guess a scenario because again, he's, he's a former police officer, but he's, he's black. So he's going to have to walk that delicate line. Can he do it? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I think if, first of all, if he's elected, he's definitely the will of the people, right? Right. Um, they, they want, they want aggressive, smart policing, um, to turn New York city around. doesn't take long, man, to go backwards. And, yes. and I think New York's a real prime example of that. You know, I, I attended some of the Comstat meetings and one up in New York um, and one in particular stuck out in my mind. And it was they were having a problem with in a particular area with drive by shootings. And the commander was on the hot seat because he just could not fix this. And somebody, one of the higher ranking officials said, hey, you know, what's what's going on? You got all these drive bys. And, and the, by the way, these are drive-bys, not in cars. These are drive-bys, people on bicycles, mm -hmm. right? Because you can't get away in some parts of New York in a car. No, no, no. <laughs> you just, you know, traffic's not going to allow you to get away. So he was like, well, you know, I, I got some cops. and I, I put them on bicycles and we're going to chase these guys down. And he's like, really? You, you're going to try to match these guys, you know, <laughs> on your speed of your, um, your swings there and um, see if you can uh, chase them down? And somebody said, somebody, you know, another commander said, hey, here's what we did. We stopped everybody, everybody in this neighborhood where we were having this problem on their bikes. And we got their name and we got a description of them. We got the clothing. We got the color of their bikes. And then we kicked them loose. And then they fed that information into their database. Mm -hmm. So the next time they had something, boom, here's Junior's picture. We know who Junior is. Junior was stopped there yesterday or the day before. Yeah, and, and when they had to stop and frisk up there and people were saying, hey, they were on constitutional stops. And I would imagine that people would say the same um, on the issue yep. of stopping people with bikes. But, you know, listen, you can't ride a bike and follow the rules. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. I mean, you got to follow all the vehicle rules. So you can't ride a bike on a technically you can't ride a bicycle on a sidewalk. Yeah, you can't ride it against traffic. You got to stop at the stop sign. You know, if, if, if this is you're addressing shootings and murders, uh, I think it's fair game. Well, yeah, um, and, but it was just an example of, you know, the kind of cooperation they had.
between the different commanders, the kind of ideas, the way they were thinking, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and and as you know, you'd walk into a Comstat meeting, your captain, you might walk out a mm-hmm. lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Okay, you might go from the Bronx to Queens mm-hmm. that day. <laughs> and and it's interesting too because Maple, uh, Maple was a, a character. He had the Hamburg and the Spats and the long. I was yeah. I was in a Baltimore restaurant with him one time, and he walked in, and the owner came over to me. He's off. So he's in the mob. Is that guy in the mob? I said no. He's he's a police officer. But Maple, that was part of his uh, theory, right? So you got a guy, a violent guy. He's mostly the, the shootings and the killings are by the same people out there. Yep. You got a violent guy riding his bike down the street the wrong way you stop him you find out he's on parole or he's he's got a warrant against him and you pick him up and you take that shooter off the street but again we get into the argument of constitutional not constitutional and um and you know what what happens there um so it's going to be a fascinating um you know that guy's going to have a lot of pressure on him but the interesting thing and it is what you said about the world of people people up there are tired of crime and and as a reporter you know there were three things people voted on number one was crime second was schools third was taxes and again because of this is happening crime is once again at the forefront that's what people were voting on and, you know, it's really turned quickly. Yeah. I, I mean, this, this sentiment, this anti-police thing, I, I see as being put in its proper perspective real quick. Um, I, I'm, I'm surprised it's beginning to turn this quickly. If, if a city like New York can, or can um, elect a pro-police police officer who's going to run on a crime platform, um, that's pretty telling to me for the rest of the country. Well, it's also, you know, we got the midterms next week, next year. I'm sorry, next yeah, year. Yeah. And, Please, not uh, next week. <laughs> what's it coming we up? We just already. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, that's an issue that could cost the Democrats the House. I mean, the Republicans are going to be out there beating that drum saying, look, you know, this progressive, liberal, whatever you're doing is not working and we're, they're going to win that. They're probably going to win the house, and this is going to be a big issue where they where they can hammer them on. And how do they respond? How do you respond to that? Yeah, I, it, it will be interesting. You know, I've always talked about police and politics, right? Um, but you know, I've always said um, Republican ideas and Democratic needs. Yeah, that that describes cops. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting. It's really going to be interesting what role the police unions play in this because they've also been under attack. Mm-hmm. You've seen um, offices of police unions in Portland and different um, cities across the country in Baltimore being vandalized um, by groups, spray painting graffiti, you know, breaking windows, that kind of thing of, of police unions in an attempt to silence them. So that's going to be interesting what role they say and what politicians are they going to get close to these unions, which, you know, unions are bread and butter to some political groups? Yeah, they're campaign yeah. funders. And they're, 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 they put people on the street and um, they put money in the coffer. So it's going to it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, certain politicians walk that line. So in the New York race, it's about a 5% difference, according to a New York Post poll that came out, I think it was today. And the second candidate is a woman by the name of Maya Wiley, and she's gotten the backing of Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez. And her platform is, I'm going to cut the police budget by a billion dollars. And uh, what you're hearing is, is then we're hearing is that 
they want to take that money. They want to put it into homelessness, mental health, uh, social services. And I think since the George Floyd uh, murder, it's been a $820 million removed from big city police budgets and 124 went back to the community. So um, are you <laughs> seeing those budgets? I mean, are you seeing that? Well, tell you, we talked about yeah. this before, what a cut of a budget does to a police department. What does that do? Well, it, it does, if you're not taking the personnel away, because, you know, most police departments, even the ones, you know, when I was chief, I mean, 80, 85% of my budget is fixed cost and salary and benefits. So it's the salary, the health care, the uniforms, the pension, those type of costs. Um, you know, you might only have 10, 15 percent of your budget um, that is, quote unquote, discretionary. Right. Right. So what is discretionary? That's training. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the first place. That's always the first place it's going to go. Professional development. Which is the thing they need the most. Which is the thing. That, exactly. It's the thing they need the most. You know, recruitment, hiring standards. All that, you're going to look for the cheapest way to recruit, the cheapest way to do background. Okay, you know, for example, there's a lot of major cities now that aren't doing the knock and talks for backgrounds. Mm. They're just sending out letters saying, hey, you know, so-and-so gave us as a reference. Is he a good guy? Well, when I came on, a recruiter came to your neighborhood, talked to your neighbors. Right. You know, what's this kid like? Um, but for cost reasons, they don't do that anymore. Um, and then you start cutting back on training standards. I mean, you talk about having problems and, you know, that's, listen, that's our solution to get out of this. Mm -hmm. Hiring quality individuals and giving them proper, consistent training is what's going to stop these incidents that we're dealing with from happening in the first place. And we talked about that before, and you made a good point about racial sensitivity training. Officers get eight hours, and then they're thrown on the streets. And you were saying, "Hey, when you get firearms training, you have to go back every year." And you got, and and they don't do that in in that situation. But what do you see as the solution to this? What's the balance that we need? I, I think the the balance is we need to support our good police officers, and we need to develop systems. You know, for example, in, in Baltimore, many years ago. Um, we had an early, a very effective early warning system for police officers that were kind of, you could see as a commander, um, we're kind of heading down the wrong path, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty on these incidents, but if you're not doing anything to correct the behavior as it's happening, I mean, the, the guy, you know, uh, Derek Chauvin, he had a history. Yeah, everybody said, yeah. Right, that should, that should yeah. have caught this. Now, whose fault is it that this wasn't caught? command but yet commands going unscathed and the rank and file cops are being punished and i think you develop the systems that will will track individuals that should not be in police work yeah i think that's key to get those systems developed and, and we talked about this before too when something like a derek chauvin happens everybody says it's huh, just a matter of time with that guy you know and you know as soon as something happens hey I, that's a matter of, and their friends say it and their family say it. It was just a matter of time with that guy. Um, do you think this crime situation continues um, to be, um, I mean, continue the murders keep rising, the violent crime keeps rising. You think it's going to continue? Yeah, I, I think communities are going to say enough's enough. I, I see it happening already. Don't support the police, fund it, fund them properly. Um you know, I mean, listen, you see what we're seeing in Baltimore right now. I mean, the murders are, are through the roof and you can't get much higher. 
um, than what's going on in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I think that I think we're going to see communities say enough's enough, mm-hmm. and that we have to um, really rally behind our public safety and our police officers if we're going to protect our communities and give them the resources they need to do their job. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just going to be fascinating as we go along. I mean, some people are saying, ah, it's not really the, 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 the backdraft of the George Floyd incident. Um, it's just, you know, COVID or, or whatever it is, but, um, you know, you, you, you seem to have a firm belief that it is the, the backdraft of that. Yeah, I think it is. It's the, it's the backdraft of this anti-police movement, um, and defund the police movement that's causing police departments and police chiefs and rank and file um, to question whether it's worth it um, to go out there and do what needs to be done to catch bad guys. Listen, when 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 bad guys will do anything they can to commit their crimes, you need real good, effective law enforcement. And that means you need men and women who are willing to go out there and risk their lives. Make no mistake about it. Assaults on police officers are up too. Um, police yeah. officers are under attack and a safer America is going to be paved with their blood. Because that's what it takes to go after some really bad folks that are on the street. There was an interesting um, poll that was done. I guess it was in Milwaukee, and they asked people for a couple of um, a couple of questions. One was, "Do they support defunding the police?" A lot of them said no, but there was another feeling that I think the majority, two out of three, said they didn't think they thought the police were doing a fair or poor job um, at their jobs. And uh, what? Cha- how can we? How does that change? What changes that? I think it. I think it changes when we stop seeing all the negativity put out by the media on police when a lot of times it's unwanted, unwarranted. You know, it's, it's now all about being first and not about, about being accurate. Mm-hmm. So um, you have so many different news outlets that are able to just pummel uh, the profession uh, and then put in social media on that where nothing has to be true. You can just say, you know, whatever you want as long as a couple million people like it, mm-hmm. um, it'll stay out there. So I, I, I think, and, and then police officers have to do a better job, quite frankly, mm-hmm. of weeding out the bad apples. Mm-hmm. You think that will happen as a result of this, uh, as in this post-George Floyd era? I, I think it will. I, th- I, think, I think you're seeing police executives um, really understanding, and we did a report here in the state of Maryland um, under the Commission to Restore Trust in Policing, which I was a member of, um, that said, listen, this, this is not a rank and file problem. This is a police leadership problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Will they be scrutinized more? Do you think it, do you think they're being scrutinized more? They, the leaders, the leadership? No, no. They, and, and the elected officials who appoint them. Yeah. They, they, listen, this is, the, this is a prime example of, of being able to divert attention away from yourself. Yes. When we got elected leaders who, you know, they pick the police chief, they come up with the budgets, um, they set the hiring standards, they set the training requirements, and then when something goes wrong, they walk away and say, oh, it's not us. And, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but they've done a good job of putting all the blame on the poor rank and file cop. And whenever you get politicians involved, I mean, geez. Yeah, and, and listen, politicians yes. are everything yes. to yes. policing. And, Unfortunately, you know, they, you know, they're sitting there with no yeah. background. And, and, and you know, they pick these chiefs, yeah. right? Yeah. They, they pick them, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing lately in terms of um, 
some of the community saying, you know, we, we want our police back mm-hmm. and we want them protecting us. We don't want bad cops on the street um, and do what you can to get rid of them. Um, but our good cops, we listen, they're talking about taking cops out of schools. Mm. Um, that's been such a successful program in terms of mentoring and, and, and security. Um, but, you know, we just got to go back to the, to letting police officers do their jobs, giving them the support they need. And like I said, um, having the systems in place to get rid of those individuals who have no business wearing the badge. Thank you, sir. Always great talking to you. Always appreciate you uh, joining us. So, um, and we'll, we'll keep on top of this and we'll be, we'll be shouting at you. Thanks, Gar. I really appreciate you. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. So we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. I'd like to thank our executive producer, Mike Gugan, and of course, our technical producer, the Wizard of Odds, Brad, maybe our announcer, Dave, and our contributing voice down, John One Take Terzis, the voiceover Tampa Bay. We want to thank everyone for giving us likes on LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please share it with your people and your social media friends and all your friends. We will be back next week, as I said. And until then, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.